As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Good morning and hello. Welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I'm talking to you early Wednesday morning, rain out in the DMV, but hopefully everybody is uh, basking in the glory (laughs) of the Washington Commanders, the hottest team in the NFL, no hyperbole. This is the actual truth, 6-1 in their last seven games by winning percentage. There are other teams that have lost only one game as well, but by winning percentage, Washington has played the most games in that stretch and has the best record and it's uh it is quite the journey and a huge game of course this week Sunday at New York in which Washington with a win would pass the Giants in both the NFC East and the playoff standings uh joining me in a few minutes will be former Washington head coach Jake Gruden to share his thoughts on where this team is at we'll get into um some of the interesting topics of, with this group, you know, the quarterback situation. I don't think we've talked about Tress Way with, with with Jay, who just continues to be an incredibly valuable piece. We'll get to those things and a bunch more for sure with Jay in a few minutes. Uh, but of course, just a quick reminder, you can uh, subscribe and find all my written work over on The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free there. Uh, you can, of course, uh, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing, and of course, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, all right, so w- w- let's just look ahead here a little bit to this week. Uh, probably the biggest personnel question, I guess, is going to be the Chase Young uh, saga, uh, the injury return saga. It's now been over a year since he had not just the injury, but the surgery itself. Still no return. We thought we were close last week. Didn't quite get there. Combination, I think, of the knee. Still maybe not feeling it completely. Uh, Chase Young himself, meaning you know, Ron Rivera has talked before, he needs to see a little more confidence from Chase Young. There was also the, uh, uh, he was also ill late in the week, over the weekend. So all that uh, held on. You'll remember a couple weeks ago, or I shouldn't say a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, I did an episode with uh, Nikki Javala, and we talked about uh, the idea of when do we think Chase Young will be back, before or after the bye week. And my guess was after the bye week, because it still didn't quite sound at that moment that 
you know, that the knee was, there were, everybody was completely confident in the knee. Um, and then if you didn't play this past game, you really going to play in New York on that terrible turf. Um, well, obviously he didn't play this week, although it did, I will say on Friday, Ron Rivera's tone made it sound like it was more conceivable that he could get in a few snaps and, and had heard that a little bit elsewhere as well, but it ultimately didn't happen. If Rivera is saying the turf doesn't matter, meaning he's going to have to play at some point, um, then okay, then I guess he could be this week, but we'll see. Uh, I'll be, you know, be very curious to see what happens. The the crazy thing, of course, is I, I don't want to say they're not missing Chase Young, but relatively speaking, they're not missing Chase Young because of how well the defensive line is playing. Obviously, last week was unique for this group of late because of how well Atlanta ran the ball over 160 yards on the ground. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Jay if he thinks there's anything uh, future opponents can learn in there uh, from that to to uh, to use against Washington. Um, but that aside, obviously this group has played very well. Chase Young would come in and be a situational player at this point and probably presumably would be for the rest of the year. But, you know, of course, anything can ha- any any help would be would, would be great. And, you know, based on potential, Chase Young is, you know, it would certainly be a, a huge asset for this group. So we'll see how the week goes for him. Um, but in terms of where the team is at, you know, a story I wrote this week on The Athletic was uh, about Ron Rivera tried to tell us that year three was um, the year for this group to sort of make a bold move up, that this is what happened in Carolina after a couple of years of, you know, sort of, you know, underwhelming or, or you know, this developmental seasons, they shot up to a 12-win team in 2013, his third season with Carolina. He's made that third-year jump comment over and over again, going back to before the year even started. He did it uh, even this season when they were at 1-4. and four. And it always seemed to me to be, uh, like, I'm not doubting his sincerity in believing that. It's just like, well, the quarterback scenario, right? Uh, you know, you had Cam Newton at that point, a, a, a rising young player who would become an MVP two years later versus what was going on here, whether it was Carson Wentz at the time or even a few you know, factor in Taylor Heineke when when he got in and they started to win a bit more. It's still hard to see how that was going to be a mirror, uh, you know, image situation. Well, we're heading in that direction, and it is certainly impressive what they've been able to do. And and you look at some of the numbers, particularly on defense. I tweeted some of this out the other day, but here are some of the the growth that they've had. This is during this seven week stretch where they're six and one. The first start with Wentz, then the next six with Heineke. Turnover margin. You know, this group couldn't get, you know, they couldn't catch a, a turnover uh, to, to save their life the first several weeks of the year. Now, turnover margin, first in the league, plus seven in uh, through, uh, through the last seven uh, weeks. Time of possession margin, second in the league, uh, seven minutes and six seconds. Rivera has said now that, you know, they sort of tipped their hand as to what they wanted to do this year w- with uh, Brian Robinson back in preseason and, and how they were going to use the run game. I, I have some questions about that in the sense that it doesn't, like, if you were really going to be a run-first team, why did you draft a receiver in the first round? Why didn't you do a better job with the offensive line? But 
those quibbles aside, uh, you know, you guys heard me talk about this months and months ago that they wanted to sort of emulate that four game winning streak last year. Time of possession was a huge factor, and a guy like Brian Robinson would indeed make a ton of sense for that. Um, points allowed, third at 15.43 a game. Yards allowed, also third, 284.6. Uh, penalties. Fifth at four point eight six. I know there were a couple. You know, each game. You know, every team's going to have those one or two crusher penalties, whether it's a timing thing or a fifteen yarder or pass interference or, or something. But in terms of just sheer numbers, and again, this is not just defense. This is offense, defense, and special teams. Four point eight six. That shows a lot of discipline and uh, good. Good on them. And then um, one for the uh, for the offense. Three and out. Uh, drives, the percentage of drives at ending in a three and out, fourth at 23.0. And, you know, obviously they're still not scoring a ton, but this is about the time of possession factor. Um, part of this is, of course, the Rob, the Brian Robinson emergence, but it's also Taylor Heineke. He is more of a, you know, grind it out type quarterback than Carson Wentz, who is more boom or bust. So they're lacking the bigger play, perhaps, but they're being more. I don't know if efficient's the right word, I guess, but they're able to get those, you know, four and five yard, six yard plays, move the ball, move the chains, and that's helping, you know, it's a definition of complementary football for this group. So there's a lot there that is working. Now, of course, what's going to happen going forward here, right? Um, I, you know, at this point, again, I, well, uh, I guess I didn't say from a personnel perspective, is Carson Wentz going to be active this week? You know, until he's actually on the roster, there is no decision for Ron Rivera to make. Uh, presumably, even if he is active this week, and we'll find out, I guess, later, um, if not today, uh, meaning Wednesday, by, you know, by Friday or, or Saturday, presumably, whether Wentz will be active. Even then, it looks like he'll be the backup. Um, but, you know, here's where the offense is um, in you know right now over these last seven weeks. They're averaging 1.76 points per drive. Now, that's an improvement over where they were for the six games at 1.4, but it's still only 21st in the league. They're 22nd in red zone efficiency, 27th in yards per play, and also 27th in third down percentage. Look, getting the breaks is... Is, is is almost, I don't know if it's half the battle, but it, you know, it's, it's a huge part of the battle, whether you're talking about day-to-day life or winning football games. And for the most part, this team has gotten those. Now they're making their own luck, whether that's Deron Payne tipping that pass at the end of last week to save the, to save the win. And by the way, if you uh, haven't already heard, well, Michael Phillips and I broke down the uh, commander's win uh, last week. So you can check that out on the podcast feed, whether it's that, but then there's the, you know, the Taylor Heineke throws into triple coverage against the Vikings and Curtis Samuel somehow gets, still comes down with the touchdown in part because one of the defenders ran into a referee, right? (laughs) Um, You know, a, a, you know, a a pass gets thrown and it's intercepted, um, but it should be intercepted right in the defender's hands. He drops the ball in the, uh, in the Houston game. You can't always explain these things, but, you know, we all remember when the bad things happen. you got to remember when the good things happen as well. They're creating their own luck. But at some point, you wonder, can the offense win you the game instead of just sort of being 
more of the supporting cast. And I think Ron Rivera, that, that's kind of what he hinted at this week as well when we spoke to him on Monday. You know, can the offense go to another level? And uh, I don't know. That's that's the big question, right? Like, you know, what if, what if say, the Giants this week are able to copy some of Atlanta's run game and with Saquon Barkley, obviously one of the better running backs in the league, get out to a, I'm just making this up here, you know, a 17-13 lead in the, or a 17-3 lead in the third quarter or, you know, something like that. Does the, and then you can't just rely on the run game. You have to start throwing the ball more. Can you get the ball going um, in, in, in that way? Obviously, we know they have the playmakers and I'm not discounting Heineke's ability to, to make some plays. I'm just saying, you know, they've been a more conservative offense. Can that turn around? Fortunately, they're playing teams that are in the same boat. Atlanta, very similar type team. Um, obviously, Houston was pretty underwhelming. The Giants, you know, look, they're, they are 7-4. and four. They've lost a couple in a row after their hot start. I still think the Giants are a really well-coached team. But at the same point, they don't have a lot of uh, firepower themselves offensively. So they keep teams in games. So, you know... If we're, if we're at the point where we're discussing how far can this go with Washington, I think that is probably the next step. Can the offense get to a point where it can win you games, not just be part of the ride-along program? Um, you know, can you come back? Can you, you know, take control in the offense when the defense is not doing enough? Uh, we will see. But, hey, look, good times right now out in Ashburn. It's going to be a rainy day, it looks like, out there today. But, again, the sun is shining down on this group for sure. Um, all right. Uh, we'll, and we'll look, we'll have plenty of more guests this week. I've already got uh, a few more planned that I'm excited for you to hear from. But right now, let's get to the guy we hear from every week here on the podcast, former Washington head coach Jay Gruden here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, as promised, joining us here as he does is former Washington head coach Jay Gruden. We're talking early on a Wednesday morning. Uh, Jay, you get—I don't know if you've ever seen uh, my cat Lenny before. He's been uh, yelling at me all morning, so he decided he wanted to be part of this. Do you, do you have pets? I don't even know. We got two cats. Yeah, back in Virginia, they're—they're they're lovely. They meow and they uh, drive me crazy. <laughs> you're not and you're not a cat guy. Not a cat guy at all. I'm sure uh, your cat is very nice. I just don't like the two that I have. Why? Why? Who? Whose call was that? The other, uh, the person who's actually running the house, or the kids, or? Well, about ten years ago, my kid was dating some girl, and they came home with these two rescue cats, and we were going to watch them for a couple of days, and then they went to take them back, and they, everybody started to cry, so we kept them. 
Uh, I was at work. I didn't know about it. I come home. There's two cats running around. I go, what the hell are these things? But family overridden me, overrided me, whatever you say. And uh, we got cats for 10 years now. What do you, uh, what'd you call them? Deshaun and Pierre? Dirk and Socks. One has a little white foot, so we call her Socks. And then a guy we called Dirk. All right, we didn't well. know if it was a boy or girl, so we named her after Dirk Diggler. You don't know if it's a boy or girl, so you named it after a, a movie oh, porn star? we found out, so we would remember, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> fan, 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 fantastic. All right, well, Lenny, uh, you you know, L- L- Lenny is the real star of this show. I just uh, keep him hidden, so, uh, you know, he I, I, need, I need all the help I can get, so he, he's, he's helpful for me. Um, let's talk about the actual stuff, the actual football. You know, we started obviously doing these podcasts at the beginning of the year, and for most of the time we've talked, We've been talking about a team that was underwhelming, that was struggling, concerns about this, concerns about that. Um, uh, <laughs> here we are going into this week 13 game against the Giants. They are literally, Washington is literally the hottest team in the league, having won six of their last seven games. And, um, you know, we're all trying to piece together how this is happening. The defense is pretty obvious, but there's still questions on offense. Uh, maybe I've asked you this over the last week or two, but for you, as you're watching this thing, what's been the biggest difference, do you think, with why this team is now suddenly uh, think they're, they're winning games? Well, they're playing efficiently on offense. They're not lighting it up on offense, obviously. The running game has been outstanding. Brian Robinson uh, and, and Gibson, they've done a great job of moving the chains and protecting the football. And then defensively has been doing their thing of not giving up any big plays and making it very hard for the opposing offense. That combination of not turning the ball over, having a strong running game, keeps your defense fresh, your defense is fresh, and you're able to make some plays. And and by the end of the game, it's not going to be a blowout. Somebody's going to have to win on the goal line stand or get the ball in there at the end of the game somehow. And, and Washington has been fortunate enough uh, to win some close games and, and be effective in the way they want them. You know, as I watch these games, you know, look, the defense is playing very well, right? By the numbers they are, by the eye test they are. I know Atlanta – got the best of them on the ground this week. And I want to ask you about that, but the defense has obviously played really well. Special teams too, special teams as well. The offense, the look, the running game has been better. They've been uh, more consistent in staying with it. The passing game is still kind of underwhelming. Um, And it's when I will look at them in a vacuum. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. I mean, it still doesn't feel like it's all that, but then you just look at, around the league and especially the NFC. I'm like, well, I don't know. Or any of these teams particularly impressive. Um, I know you're watching, you know, a bunch, you know, a lot of the games do, uh, on Sundays and and so on. How do you look at them versus the rest of the NFC now that we have to consider them an actual playoff contender? Do you see a team that's still underwhelming or a team that's maybe more in line with the, the, the top teams in the league than maybe we think? Yeah, I think when you look around the NFC, the league in general, uh, I think teams are going to have their strengths. They're going to have their weaknesses. The really good teams, their strengths are really, really good, and their weaknesses aren't as bad. Uh, Washington, obviously, their weaknesses, the ability to throw the ball down the field, all that stuff, but they don't have to right now because their running game has been effective. Their strengths is their defensive line play and the way they're playing defense and the way they're protecting the ball on offense and running the game. So when you have the strength of a running game and a good, strong defense, you have the opportunity to be in every game without a doubt. Now, something happens where you play a high-powered offense and you get down 14 and nothing, you have to throw the ball earlier than you wanted to, then you're going to have problems. But if they keep games close, I don't see anybody in the NFC that can just run away. They already proved they can beat Philly. They already proved that they can stand toe-to-toe with uh, uh, some other – Minnesota. Minnesota. 
Minnesota, yeah. right? They had a chance to do it against San Francisco, and they'll get another chance against Dallas uh, last game of the year. And now these next two games against the Giants will be important because the Giants will try to exploit their run defense, if that's an issue, if Atlanta did do that last week. But we'll see how they handle Saquon. Um, but I, I firmly believe they should be able to play with every team in the NFC, the way they play defense and the way they run the ball. I mean, this is such more of an old school uh, type deal. And obviously the the league this year has been trending more towards running the ball. You know, some of the metrics showed you know, some numbers or some uh, attempts going, you know, looking more like the 1980s than they do the last, the last decade. You, you know, you run the ball, you move the clock, you shorten the game. This is more or less what teams were doing back then so it's so fascinating to see <laughs> to see this really kind of unfolding again now in 2022 and of course the question is are they going to be able to keep it up um with the quarterback but l- let's talk about the running back Th- this was brian robinson's breakout game um I- i'll months and you know way back when before the free agency before the draft i talked about that this team don't be surprised if they look for a running back who gives them that grinded out ability because Antonio Gibson, good as he is, just not that type of player. And last year they found a formula that seemed to work when they were able to keep the, you know, uh, dominate time of possession, helps the defense, et cetera. Obviously Robinson, you know, we, we know his story and why he was not on the field the first four weeks and took some time. I sent you one clip of him of uh, one of his runs where he's like, you know, just running over defenders. He won't be stopped. looks like he stopped. Finally, they said, no, no, I'm not. I keep going. What what, what, did, what stood out to you about watching him, especially in this last game? Well, I think what stood out to me all along is his ability to make positive yards out of no yards. And he's very seldom. I can't remember the last time Washington's been in a second 11 or, or a third and long play if they give the ball to Bryant. Uh, he gets them in positive down into second and seven, second and six, second and five. Those are huge uh, confidence boosters for your coordinator to continue to call runs. If you're stuck in second 11, I'll be damned if the coordinator is going to call a run the next first down. You know, he's going to throw the ball. But being in those uh, positive down and distances, which Brian provides time in and time again, even if there's nothing blocked there, he pushes the pile and gets three yards. Second and seven is a good play on first down. It's good for the coordinator, keeps them on track, and it gives them the confidence to call more and more runs, which Brian provides. And I think that's what he's best at. Not so much the flashy big play guy, but the ability to get the positive yards, which enables your coordinator to stay on track and uh, your offense to be able to be in positive down and distances. Yeah, 18 carries last week. All of them went for positive yardage. Even if it was only one yard, it went for positive yards, nothing zero or or negative. Is that something, you obviously, as coaches, you guys you know, try to help your players in different ways? Is what he is doing from that ability to fall forward sort of this – ability to get the extra yard is that something you can coach a guy up to or is that one of those innate abilities that you some guys just have it and some guys don't yeah some guys have it some guys don't be honest with you some guys will always try to make a big play and bounce it out and, and a lot of things happen when you bounce it outside either it's a negative play sometimes you'll get a big play out of or it's going to be a holding call on somebody on offense and that drives a coordinator crazy drives a coach crazy uh, and then that'll stop the confidence and calling the next run Brian, I keep telling you, these runs for three and four yards, uh, the coach, the offensive line, the tight ends, the, they all like to run the ball. They, I like to, they like to force their will on their opponent, and the best way to do that is running the ball between the tackles. Uh, guys get up high five, and they get mud on their jerseys. They love it, and uh, coaches will continue to call the run if we're making positive yards, and that's what Brian's doing for them. 
Yeah, no, uh, no, no, no doubt. I mean, um, it, it, it's been wildly impressive, obviously, just for his personal journey, but just seeing this team go. And it's not like he's getting like these massive holes or anything. It's not like Emmett Smith back in the day where, you know, it felt like you could drive a truck through the hole that Dallas was creating for him. He's having to grind it out. And I'm not saying the offensive line is not helping, but just he's really having to do a lot there. And, uh, you know, I think the combination with him and Gibson, who gives you that explosive ability on the perimeter, is really uh, w- working uh, for 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 sure. Um, anything else that's, while we're on the offense that stood out to you, uh, whether it's the, the the line or the fact that, like, you know, Heineke had a really good drive on the first drive, gets the touchdown, and then he really was not that very effective in the passing game after that. Was there anything else from the offense that kind of stood out to you one way or the other? No, not really. I think uh, they are who they are. And if they want to win games, I think Heineke needs to throw the ball between 18 and 25 times, uh, period. And they need to hand the ball off between 25 to 35 times for them to have a chance to win. If they ask him Tyler or Taylor to do – Tyler, Taylor Heineke. Uh, if they ask him to do anything more than that, I think they will be, uh, be in trouble. But the way they're playing football right now uh, is a perfect recipe for them to have success later on. And their tight ends are getting more involved in the passing game, and they're they're doing a much better job at the point of attack in the running game as well. I showed you the uh, clip of his interception from the um, end zone view. He obviously – it was a bad call on the pass where it went. He, had, he did ultimately have two guys underneath, and Gibson and Samuel, I believe, sort of uh, running across each other short, but I was asking you, do you think he couldn't see them or they were like too late in developing? And he just was sort of, cause it was only like less than 30 seconds and a half. He's thinking, I'm sure I want to make the bigger play to get into field goal range. We talk about his yeah. height sometimes. Do you think he just couldn't see them perhaps? I think what happened was he was reading the safety and uh, the safety got some depth. So he was going to go try to hit that crosser right in front of the safety so as soon as he crossed the first initial linebacker, he goes, I got him, and he let it go, and he didn't see the backside linebacker, the backside hook player get his depth, and he threw it right to him. That happens from time to time. I remember Kirk threw an interception on the same exact play when his, uh, against, uh, I think it was against Tennessee or St. Louis uh, at the end of the half, and I pulled him and put Colt McCoy in there for that same exact play. That play, you know, sometimes the quarterbacks just don't see that weak side hook player, and that's what happened to Heineke, and he'll learn from that, but that ball definitely should have been checked down, and uh, he'll definitely check it down next time. Um, fair enough. Um, I'll get to the defense in a second, but I don't think I've talked to you at all, really, about Tress Way, who is one of the holdovers from when you were here. And, uh, you know, I don't think we take him for granted because the, the, the running joke is that he's the team MVP, like always. And, uh, not you know, typically that's not said in a great way. You know, like, he's good, but, like, you don't want your punter being the MVP. Um but he's just been it, – it's just remarkably efficient. You know, he's second, I believe, in the league in, um, uh, kick, you know, punts inside the 20, tied for first in, in punts that are that end up being fair caught. He's like seventh in net. Um, and then, of course, there's just his personality. He is just a fun guy to be around, at least it seems like it from from our perspective. Yeah. What, 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 about, what about Tress Way and just how valuable of a weapon is he um, as, as the punter? He's unbelievable valuable. I mean, he's he's he can back you up. He can flip the field. Uh, not many punters can do what he can do as far as ability to do both flipping the field if you're backed up, uh, getting yourself in good field position, or pinning a team back consistently. And he doesn't care about his stats. He will punt the ball inside the twenty yard line and not bat an eye. He's a great team guy. He's a great person. He's a great athlete. He's a really good golfer. His ping pong ability is ridiculous. Uh, I, I I love the guy. He's a great guy. Great family guy. 
And uh, when you see somebody like that have success, it, it, it makes you feel good all over. You know, it's funny you mentioned the ping pong. Um, when the ping pong table no longer exists, but when it was there, like some guys would get on the table and they look like the regular hacker, like most of us. When when Tress would get on there with a, with like a, there was the special teams guy with him and uh, Nick Sunberg oh. and Dunn Hopkins in particular, it was like I was wa- you're watching like an ESPN uh, the Ocho or something down the line. Like yeah. these guys were really at a high level. Now they have cornhole, and you won't be shocked. The guy who I believe has still not lost, according to last time I heard this, is Trash Way. He's still yeah, that's, that's not shocking. He's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. Every time I go to a, a restaurant or a bar that has a ping pong table, these guys are sweating and they think they're really good. I like I always think to myself, man, I wish Tressway would come down here and beat these guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, at, yeah. Uh, when I was working at NBC Sports Washington back in the day, they had a, at one point they had a ping pong table in the lobby. Just, you know, kill some time, whatever. And there were a couple guys in the office who were really good. And then one day, for whatever reason, Tress Way showed up. And these guys who were at the top of the of the food chain in the office got absolutely smoked by him. It was uh it, it was hilarious. Um what um I, I mean, I and I guess special teams in general, Washington is like uh I think it's like third or fourth in just like overall special teams DVOA according to football outsiders i don't know how much you can really tell on television watching this and i I haven't really asked you about this but like what's your sense of their special teams overall the return game is kind of whatever but like the coverage and things like that doesn't get discussed a lot but you know obviously it's important but what what, have you noticed anything in particular about that and for this group that's going to grind out offense how important is that uh for this team i know coach katzer pretty well uh i hired him he's a great special teams coach uh, when you play games like this, the way they're winning games, a touchdown here, a field goal here, special teams becomes critical. You give up a big play on special teams, you can't recover sometimes. It flips momentum and uh, puts your team in a bad, bad spot mentally and uh, obviously in the game. So uh, they've been very good at uh, when they punt, they punt, they cover well, they back teams up and they make teams go 85 yards against that defense. That's the recipe for success. If you get a block punt or you give up a punt return back to your own 20 yard line. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just like getting punched in the gut right in the middle of the game. And I, for them to continue to be consistent on special teams is going to be critical moving forward. Um, let's go to the other side, the defense. Um, again, this was the rare game that the op- opponent was able to run the ball on Washington. They had been obviously, uh, you know, like second, third in the league in run defense over the last, you know, during this winning stretch. You knew Atlanta coming in was going to try to run. Um, that doesn't mean you'll be successful. They definitely were. Uh, three different people, including uh, quarterback Marcus Mariota, had at least 49 yards on the ground. Uh what did you notice about what Atlanta was doing that was working? And then I guess to that end, is there something there that was some of that teams that they're going to watch and will play going forward can recognize like, ah, okay, this is how you beat them. Or was this more unique? You think to Atlanta? Uh, I think more unique to Atlanta. Not many teams can line up in two and three tight end sets anymore in pro football. The lack of tight end play around the league is, is really quite alarming in my opinion. Uh, Atlanta has two or three tight ends and they lined up in a couple two and three tight end sets and, and Washington still played a two shell, which is surprising to me. I guess they're not, not a little concerned over London number 17, um, which really uh, is difficult to defend when you're playing a two shell against those three tight end sets because you get a hat on a hat and uh, you can get your double teams working up to the linebacker quite effectively. And that's what happened there. I think Washington was kind of 
in a bend but don't break mode when they saw that personnel hey we'll give them three or four yards and eventually Mariota will throw it and make a mistake and and we'll get off the field um but yeah you're gonna have to probably be a little bit more aggressive if the Giants have those two and three tight end sets by bringing your safety down in the box and getting uh you know getting an extra player in there uh, otherwise Saquon will run for 150 in the first quarter if you don't do that well that's what I was gonna say like it's not like the Giants are a high a high powered offense themselves it's a lot of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and that's why I was kind of wondering like ooh, could New York see something that Tennessee did and take advantage yeah. of that uh that, that's if the Giants have that three tight end set, two and three tight end sets, I used to call it Trey, three tight ends, um, which used to put teams really in a pickle because defensive coordinators don't have a big call sheet for that personnel grouping, three tight ends, one back and one receiver. And when that one receiver was like a Pierre Deshaun and three tight ends were Jordan Reed, Sprinkle and uh, Vernon Davis. I mean, teams didn't know what to do. They couldn't play nickel. They had to play base. And then we spread them out. And uh, it's a great tight end. It's a great grouping to attack defenses, but not not many teams have that many tight ends that are good enough to do that. Um, to to and and you know to whatever degree you've been paying attention to to the Giants and Daniel Jones this year. I'm curious your thoughts. Whenever he's played Washington, he looks like he's you know, I don't know. Pick, pick your pick your pick your all star quarterback. I was gonna say Phil Sims, but you know whatever. He he's like seems way better than he does when he's playing everybody else. It feels like the Giants coaching staff has done a pretty good job of being of making him as effective as possible. Um, what have you seen from him? Cause I guess on some level, you know, again, you talk about the quarterback matchups, whatever we want to say about Taylor Heineke, is he really that much different than Daniel Jones? I I don't know, but that's what I'm asking you. What, what are you kind of seen from him? Well, he's getting better. You know, I think the more people you put around them that are pretty good, that'll help them. I mean, obviously Saquon's a great player, but the receiving core has been fluctuated throughout his whole career. They don't really have that go-to guy or, that big time tight end and Daniel's still been pretty effective. And obviously Brian Dayball does a great job with them as far as moving them outside the pocket, working some zone reads and making bootlegs where he can keep it or run it, um, getting them in positions to be successful. Now they've had trouble the last couple of weeks when they've been in known passing situations. Like a lot of teams are nowadays when they're in known passing situations, they can't protect and they don't get got the bodies to get open down the field. Um, but, if they stay in a game close like they will against – it's going to be a close game uh, against Washington. Uh, Daniel has the capabilities to use his legs and hurt you and to uh, throw the ball and hurt you. And then, obviously, Saquon's threat of running the ball will eventually, I think, force Washington to play more single-safety defenses, which will enable the Giants to take more shots down the field. Um, I'm going to ask you what you think is going to happen in this game in a second. I forgot to ask you, though, at the top, the Brian Robinson big hat. Would you like one? You know, I feel like I should get, you know, when we're getting here to the holidays, you know, you've been kind enough to come on here. I feel like I should get you a gift. Would you like the big hat as your gift? I, I would like a big hat. You know, those things are pretty I got some friends of mine that have really big heads and I always make fun of their heads. So I'd love to get them one of those just for a good Christmas gag bonus. I mean, but he's where you're like for real. Like that's the part. Like yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Like, and yeah. you're, like I, I think that's more of a practical joke gift more than a stylish gift that I'd wear out to a club or something or a bar or a restaurant or, or to a game. I don't think I'd work. I mean, it'd be uncomfortable to be bumping into people next to you. Wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing that kind of jarred me about that, like if I saw a fan wearing that at a game, I'd be like, Oh, okay. That's kind of, but if you sat silly. behind and you couldn't see the game. <laughs> yeah. Right. That would be, <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want to sell that hat at a football game for God's sakes. People will be getting in fights in the stands. Take your hat off, sit down, down in front. 
Yeah. All right. Can you imagine? That'd be that'd be hilarious. Um. And and by the way, what do you think about Taylor Heineke's move? Where after every time he wins, he goes out and buys a pair of Jordans in the color of the team. Um. He's not like making a big deal about it. Like he's not like per se talking trash about the he just beat but there's something there what, what do you think about that move i think it's pretty cool actually that's a great idea so he, he bought uh the falcons colors uh in a, in a jordan shoe yeah he's been doing that and he probably guess... never wear them. he just collects them those things will be worth something i mean at least they're they got some value later on i don't know why people want to uh buy shoes that are you know later on in life how they're collector's items but yeah i think it's a good idea yeah he said he'd been doing it now for for a bit and uh, we all just caught a cut up to it uh, a few weeks ago. He's now been buying Jordans also for like the offensive line and the running backs, things like that. So uh, I had money already. Good for him. Well, Jordans I guess they're not right they're, they're, Aren't they like between 200 and $500 a pair and some of them more than that? Uh, you know, I, I have uh, weird feet things. I got, I just stick with boring new balance. So I don't even know what Jordan's cost and all that, but yeah, it's not, it's not like 50 bucks. He's getting a pair at Marshall's or something. I think I'm still wearing the free shoes I got from Washington about two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm I, with you on that. All right, so so this game, I don't typically ask you to make predictions, but this is a huge game, right? If Washington wins, they go ahead of the Giants in the, in the uh, playoff standings. If they lose, now they're a game and a half behind New York. They will play them, of course, again after the bye in this weird setup where they're playing them in back-to-back games. Uh, but a huge game on the road, this one. What, what's your sense of uh, what's going to happen? Well, both teams win exactly the same way, in my opinion. You know, I think the Giants, early on in the season, they caught some people by surprise. They play a lot better defense than people anticipate of them to play. Uh, their defensive coordinator is an excellent coach. Uh, they will play good, sound defense, and it'll make it hard on Washington to move the ball and, and vice versa, the same thing. I think it's going to be a close, hard-fought game. A special team play will be a key. A uh, turnover will be a key. And, of course, you can never discount those striped jerseys, guys, making a horrific call or some kind of call that will change the momentum of the game. And you look back on it, do you believe that call? Well, that call didn't cost – yeah, it did cost us the game. It, it'll There'll be a call like that in the game. So those three things, I think it'll come down to a, a field goal, probably be like 20 to 17, something of that nature, uh, and the team that protects the ball the best will win. Well, you don't, you don't, you, you don't want to say which team that's going to be? Uh, no, not, I mean, I, I think Washington has the better team all around, really. Uh, if you really think about it, they have better receiving core. Um, you know, their backs are play, not as good as Saquon, but they're comparable. They're, they're as effective right now. Uh, the quarterbacks are close, although Daniel Jones got, you know, he's bigger, can throw the ball further and can run better. Uh, so I'd probably give the edge to Daniel. The offensive lines are comparable. The defensive line, Washington's better. Linebackers, probably the Giants. Secondary is probably the Giants. Uh, so it's going to be a close game. Yeah, no, it it it, it should be. It would be stunning if anybody wins by more than one score. That'd be a, uh, unless, you know, like I said, unless there's some special teams punt blocks, kickoff return for touchdown, or uh, a lot of turnovers, which both teams have tinkered around with the ability to turn the ball over a lot. Daniel will throw the ball to the other team and and fumble, and same with Heineke. So though, that's going to be the key. Fair enough. Uh, Jay, always appreciate it. Enjoy the uh, the rest of your week. We'll, we'll talk next week, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see where we're at with this group. You got it. Thanks, man. See ya. See ya.